So I got to admit, I don't often remember homilies. In fact, I don't even often remember my own homilies whenever people bring them up. But eight years ago, somebody did, a priest did preach a homily that I did remember. One that I don't know if I could ever really forget. He said that there were three demons in the pit of hell talking with Satan. And Satan asked these three demons, what can we tell people on earth that will get them here in hell? What can we do to convince people or really trick them into falling into this place? So they thought, and they thought, and they thought, and one demon came up with an idea. What if we tell people this? There is no God. Satan kind of looked around, eh, not so sure that'll really work. I mean, it might get a few people in, don't get me wrong. I think there will be, there will be a few that do believe that. But I don't know if that's the solution. The second demon chimed in. said, what about this? You can do whatever you want. Eh, I think that might get a few more people in. Might get them to certainly sin a little bit more. They might eventually learn that you really can't get whatever you want. But yeah, no, I think, I think, I think we can get a few people, few, few people here with that lie. Then finally the third demon chimed in. And he said, what about this? You have plenty of time. There's no rush. No hurry. You can go to Mass later. You can go to confession later. You can convert at the end. Why start now? And at that, Satan smiled and said, that, my friend, is the ticket. That's what we're going to do to use to get people into the pit of hell. You'll bring them in by the truckloads. Have them believe that they have all the time in the world and, and let death sneak up on them and take them like that. They will surely lose their life My friends, that was a very scary parable that I heard all those years ago. And I'm afraid that that lie that the last demon spoke, the idea that you have plenty of time, that you can convert at your deathbed, is the same lie a lot of people believe, actually whenever they read today's parable. Today's parable can be very, very unmotivating to those of us who are faithful Catholics. It makes it look... Like, we don't really need to be putting in all the work that we do now. Go on a Mass, go on a confession, go on a Holy Days of Obligation. It makes it look like that's all rather futile, and it'll cause us to be very judgmental, very rigid, very whatever, and get angry at those converts who come later. Honestly, I've never really seen a whole lot of people mad at converts. It's just not an experience that I've had. I mean, maybe, usually people are pretty glad whenever they convert. At least that's what I've seen. And so I did a little research to see, like, maybe, where, maybe there's another interpretation of this gospel that kind of makes a little bit more sense. That's not so demotivating for people who are on this Christian life. And the answer that I found was actually in Cyril of Alexandria, one of the early church fathers. And what he said was that time perceived in this parable, the day, is actually all of salvation history. And what he said was that the first people called to the vineyard, people like Adam... And Enoch, those very first biblical figures that God summoned to serve him all the days of his life. Of the third hour, the second, the second group, this is at nine o'clock. Cyril of Alexandria says that he calls Noah and, Ab- and Noah and Shem to come and join him. At the sixth hour at noon, he calls, Abra- he calls Abraham. At the ninth hour, he calls David. And then at the eleventh hour, there's a little bit of a twist. 
See, all these people up to the 11th hour were Jews. They were all God's chosen people. But at the 11th hour, at the last possible second, if you will, the last possible hour of the working day, the very end of salvation history, Jesus goes out and calls someone else. He calls the Gentiles. And we can see it clearly in this parable. In this parable we have here Jesus going, or the landowner who is personified as Jesus. Why do you stand here idle all day? That's a summary of the Gentiles, folks. The Gentiles are pagans. They were godless. They had no direction. And all they were, in essence, were idle. They weren't searching for the Lord. They were settled in their own way of conduct, pagan madness. But they knew that something was wrong. At least many of them did. And so they sat idle, if you will, and Jesus called them at the last hour. That's what happened, my friends, whenever Jesus died on the cross. The salvation that was meant for the Jews came and it was open for everyone. Every single person was then allowed into those gates, and that's what we're talking about here. Ultimately, if you will, we, we see here a little bit of a difference between Jewish, a Jewish mindset and a Gentile mindset. And there, especially in the early church, there was a little bit of envy between the two. Within the Jewish community, there was kind of a little friction of the Gentiles, kind of a little jealousy. Why didn't you guys have to get circumcised? Why didn't you guys have to follow the Mosaic law? Why didn't you guys have to be subject to all these terrible demands? And that, honestly, is another homily to get into that. But, thank you. (laughs) But, what are we, what can, how does this apply to us? We're not... I don't really see a whole lot of Jewish and Gentile friction between us here at Our Lady of Wisdom. So what can we take away from this parable? And I think ultimately we can be like the Jewish folks in the gospel today. And what the Jewish folks, if you will, in the gospel today are, I'm not saying this is all Jewish folks, I'm not trying to make a stereotype, but I'm saying this is a temptation for every Christian ever, is that we can end up taking our work that we are doing in the vineyard for granted. We can see our work here as a kind of slavery, a kind of entitlement, and see the work that we do simply for the sole purpose of exploiting our Lord for getting into the kingdom of heaven. For the sole purpose of just doing what needs to be done so we can get hit, so he can give us whatever needs to be happen, whatever needs to happen. Very much like a regular old business transaction without any kind of relationship. That mentality or at least is, is what that mentality ultimately speaks and reeks. The idea that we're just here to get some work done so we can get paid. It reeks of an attitude of an entitlement. Instead of an attitude of a gratitude. My friends, whenever the, whenever the, the men who, who worked all day went up to our Lord and saw that they were getting paid the same as those who worked at the last hour, they said, the last ones only worked for one hour and you have made them equal to us. Who bore the day's burden and the heat. As if, to, as if they're going to the Lord to complain of all the work that they're doing in the vineyard. To whine and to cry that they, that they did not stand idle all day. But rather they actually did something. It really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You see, these people, as we can often do, think that we have a right to work. We can think that we have a right To get a bonus for all the hard work we're doing as good and faithful Catholics. And we can sometimes think, very scarily, that we are ultimately first and everyone else is last. And that's the great lesson of this parable. That if you think 
you are first. You shall be last. And if you think you are last, you shall be first. My friends, this parable has absolutely nothing to do with procrastination and everything to do with appreciation. Because, my friends, long before there were any workers in the vineyard, there was God. The supreme, almighty, all-powerful, good one. Who could have easily taken care of his own vineyard without our help. And you know what? Honestly, he could have done a better job. I mean, look at us. We're not exactly model perfect people. We are stricken with original sin. We need help. We, we have problems. And yet, for some irrational, unbelievable, beautiful, amazing reason, he still got us involved in the work in the vineyard. Even though he could have done it himself. Even though not only could he have done it himself, he could have done it better. And that's a beautiful thing. My friends, we don't have a right to be here. We don't have a right to be in this church. We don't have a right, if you will, to receive the sacraments. All of those things are pure, beautiful, amazing privileges from a loving God. That shows us right then and there that God really and truly is love. And that there is nothing in it for him. That he is really and truly a father. He's not a tyrant. He's not a megalomaniac. He's not over here ruling over us, prodding us with cattle prods. Get to work, get to work. No. What he's doing is he's allowing us as a father, he's allowing us as his baptized sons and daughters to work with him. Good fathers teach their sons how to work and good fathers let their sons work with them even though, even though, they know full well that they could probably do a better job than their sons. Even though they know full well they probably won't mess up the project, that, that their sons will probably mess up the project they're working on, even though, though they know full well that the project will probably take a little bit longer if they get their children involved. But that's the beauty of fatherhood. And that's the beauty of our Father, our God, our Father. And that's what ultimately is the lesson today. Whenever Jesus says... That those who are first shall be last, and those who are last shall be first. What he's ultimately talking about is a mentality. He's ultimately reminding us that the first one was the Lord. He's not encouraging us to compete with one another. That's not very familial. That's not what families do. We don't fight. We don't squabble. We don't beat each other down in order to get be first in the kingdom of heaven by being last or whatever. No, what he's referenced with a point of reference in that line that the last will be first and the first will be last, is God. And that was said by the, by the greatest man ever to live outside of Jesus, and that was John the Baptist. John the Baptist says that he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. My friends, the Lord is before us. He is beyond us. He is great. He is all-powerful. He is all-loving. And we, in relation to Him, are dead last. And whenever we put ourselves at last, whenever we recognize that it is the Lord who comes first, then and only then will we ever be called first in the kingdom of heaven. God bless you.